Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
Welcome to Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm delighted to be back, joined by Lawrence Conley and Natasha Miko. Welcome back to the Axon Bulletin. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Nice to see you back. Well, I was just saying it is refreshing um, to be doing a bulletin just twice a week because obviously hosting duties have been taken over by Kevin Graham, Colin Watt and Laura Bradburn on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday. But there is going to be a change to Monday's schedule next week, Natasha. So before we go any further, tell us what's happening on Monday next week. That's right. So next Monday, um, some people might be aware, some people might not, is International Women's Day. Um, And it's a day all about um, firstly celebrating the achievements of women, but also um, looking forward to what there is to still achieve um, and trying to set the groundwork for equality in all sectors. Um, And as you know, you guys know, and everyone who watches the show knows, one of the sectors that women are still seriously unrepresented in is sports media um, and I know myself Laura and Amy are really grateful to, to Paul and Axon for giving us this platform to come on and voice our views and the more um, productions like this that do that um, the more we'll normalise women in sports media and that can only be good for everyone um, so with that in mind to celebrate International Women's Day next Monday we are going to do an all girls Axon Bulletin um, some people have been crying out for this for months, Paul, so we are finally choosing to do it. And what better day to do it on than International Women's Day? So next Monday, 12.30, your Monday club will not be your usual Monday club, but instead will be me, Laura and Amy doing a girls takeover. So we're really looking forward to that um, and we'd love for you to, to come and join us. It would be great. And as you say, there has been demand for that, Natasha. You're absolutely right. There has been loads of demand. So looking forward to it. Uh, last week, obviously, you were on the show twice, Natasha. You uh, hosted the show with Celtic Shared on Thursday. I've not had a chance, Lawrence, to talk to you about that. What was your thoughts on Celtic Shared, groups of fans getting organised, coming together with a shared ethos? What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought, thought it was a really good show. Uh, the boys spoke well, you know, great idea behind it but, you know all, all the disparate groups uh, doesn't really do any good does it you know it's like people's front of Judea United people's front of Judea we kind of need to you know at least speak speak as one and maybe that'll make communication from the club easier if they've got kind of one umbrella group to deal with hopefully uh, that'll improve things there but you know they've got some interesting points on it and I think that coupled with the Celtic Trust it initiative that's kicked off you know it's definitely the way forward I think so yeah I thought the boys came across really well uh, there was questions raised Lawrence you know all about the way that uh, the intelligence network works in this country there was questions kind of raised about their anonymity uh, on the show but you know this is really to protect those guys from the harassment that they would inevitably receive from the authorities if they had appeared in full flow and everybody knew who they were. That they may then have um, contributed to some flack that they got in their workplace, etc. So we felt it was safest, the safest route, to have the anonymous screens launched. But as I say, you know all about that in this country, don't you? Yeah, indeed, you know, there's been a number of boys woken up out of their beds and it, it, it's not right, but... Yeah, it's strange what the authorities seem to, to deem appropriate, you know. You can have 90 minutes I and singing and you're a justice minister telling you it's a great idea hard work for Scottish football. Or, you know, you can have groups like the Green Brigade that was 
fortune for charity, kind of, you know, drive from their beds. It's, it's, it's strange. I find it really interesting, you know, the Scottish government, even if we want to touch on COVID, Ibrox 5, still waiting. <laughs> what you said before we came on is what's the SFA done about it and I think the secret is in the name SFA and that's what's going to be done about it Lawrence um, but yeah I, I share your frustrations on that um, I'm raising a question today a football related question around Chris Iyer simply because you know I was watching his performance at the weekend Natasha and I found it interesting that he still divides opinion amongst quite a lot of Celtic fans I thought he was an absolute standout I know he got the man of the match um, I commented that on five occasions in quick succession he cleared um, Aberdeen crosses through balls etc I thought he was a man mountain mm-hmm. at the weekend and I don't think we can afford to let him go I think we can afford to let Ryan Chris to go and I think that um, although I'd like to keep Edward we've seen what happens if a player doesn't want to be here so it's maybe time for Eddie to go I think part of the rebuilds has to include Chris Iyer in there do you think it's possible to keep a hold of him? I mean I would absolutely love to I've said it before and I'll say it again Iyer is monumental and it's imperative that we keep hold of him for next season whether we will or not is a completely different issue um, Iyer has great ability and a sure he has great ambition that will take him to much better leagues than the Scottish one um, whether we can hold on to him for another couple of years maybe one year is a different story you know he's still young um, but we would have to make this a seriously attractive opportunity to him and it's been suggested that we give him a bumper new contract it's been suggested that we give him the captain's armband if that could make him stay and I'm on board with both of those ideas I mean you've touched on it yourself Aberdeen, you know, are a big team who lump balls into the box and that's where we've been susceptible all season. And I know Aberdeen don't score many goals of late, but, you know, Ayer dealt with the majority of them absolutely perfectly over the last couple of games against Aberdeen. Um, He's really coming into that role. I think he's been great with Welsh. He's a real steady presence at the back. And when we've got, you know, a big rebuild exercise looming in the summer, having that base to build on and of a centre-half like Ayer could be absolutely fundamental and I'd love to see us be able to do it. Um, I think he'd be a great captain. I think he'd be the first name on your team sheet every single week. But in his head now, he's thinking, you know, AC Milan could come in for me in the summer. Um, Mm -hmm. Do I spend another year at Celtic or do do I go now? And... I wouldn't blame him for doing it, to be honest. You know, if he wants to further his career and he thinks that now's the right time to do it, I'd be disappointed. I would understand. But I'd love to see the club pull out all the stops to get him to stay. You know, the big thing for me is looking ahead to next season. Now, all the chat, obviously, um, is about the new incoming Celtic manager it's like you know the names that are being pulled out of hats left right and centre everybody seems to be linked to the Celtic job but I'm looking at the rebuild and I'm thinking back to the time where we lost a lot of experience way back Lawrence you know uh, the obvious ones being Burns and Aiken and it took Celtic years to recover from that loss of experience you need a number of leaders um, in order for this rebuild to work and I think you know Callum McGregor's a leader Scott Brown is in that obviously he's a natural leader but Chris Iyer's in that mode as well and I think it would be a huge an absolutely huge loss to Celtic for us to let him go I remember when we used to do uh, a fairly regular podcast with Alan Morrison who is uh, Celtic by numbers is the name of his blog he now goes out on the huddle breakdown and he used to do the the um, the numbers on Chris Iyer now 
I'm going to get shot down for this, but this was the stats back then. And he was looking at the way that Ayer was progressing and he hadn't seen those kinds of defensive stats at Celtic Park since Virgil van Dijk. Now, that's not me comparing him Virgil van Dijk to Chris Ayer. But back then, when Alan Morrison said that, you know, people were scoffing at the fact that the two players would be spoken about in the same breath. Now, I think that uh, some players leave too soon. Um, others like Edward for me are definitely the end of their cycle and they should move on for the better of the, themselves and of the club but Chris Iyer I still think given the right manager coming in staying for another year it's pivotal to Celtic because we need that transition we need to have these strong characters in the dressing room but I think it would also be good for him um, I, I heard John Kennedy's comments about um, the, the likelihood that Iyer would leave and it left me kind of feeling that it's inevitable Lawrence, it's inevitable that Chris Iyer leaves. But if he does, let's have a look at the defence. Look at where we are defensively. Um, I mean, we currently have one uh, permanent player as a left-back in Greg Taylor, uh, one permanent right-back in Anthony Ralston. And in the centre of defence, we have Stephen Welsh and Chris Julien, who's going to be out um, right through to maybe October time. So to let Iyer go as well, it's a complete rebuild of the defence before you even start looking at the goalie. Yeah, I, 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 I'm agreeing uh, with Peter Botis that you know Ayer we should keep. I'd like to see him getting a extended run in his correct position. I don't think he's a left sided centre half. I think we'd be much better you know, playing him at right back. Uh, but he's someone we definitely need to keep. I mean, well, short defensively, I think Tony Ralston will move on. Henry might come back. He's got weird reviews in Belgium. You know, maybe that loan will serve serve its purpose if he comes back and. Uh, as a better player, but yeah, we definitely need to sort the defence out from a uh, couple of centre-halves. I was hoping we'd bring in in January, but we didn't. Listen, I, uh, you know, depending on who the new manager is, he may fancy staying, depending on what level of ambition Celtic show. It's, it's going to be the player's decision, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, you've mentioned uh, Jack Hendry again, maybe a, a year ago, if you had spoken about Hendry and Ralston in the same sentence, people would have just switched this podcast off. We're now at that situation that um, come the summer, you know, they're two of the guys that are the, are going to be fit for those positions at that time. That shows you the real scale of the, the rebuild. But you mentioned whoever the new manager is going to be, Lawrence. We can't go through a Celtic podcast at the moment without touching on uh, the runners and the riders. Interestingly enough, an Ipswich Town podcast got in touch because we, are, we, we have interviewed Stuart Slater. Um, a 90s player at Celtic a very highly rated player who we bought for 1.5 million from West Ham and that interview will go out this weekend and we are going to use some footage in there as well just to remind people of the better points of Stuart's career at Celtic there weren't many that's not a dig at the player it was the team that we had at that time was pretty poor uh, so the Ipswich Town guys were basically on talking about uh, Stuart Slater on the back of my announcement that he was going to be on the podcast apologies my, my sound drops out now and again um, but I need to keep an eye on that because there's obviously gremlins in the camp but uh, what they went on to tell us during this broadcast is that Paul Lambert had resigned from his position uh, at Ipswich now Lambert's had a lot to say for himself over the last week or so in relation to the Neil Lennon situation and um, the likelihood that he himself might be a future Celtic manager and I, I was looking at it with a, an air of kind of suspicion because I know for a fact that he's one of Lenny's boys 
So him and Neil Lennon are still tight. They still speak on a regular basis. And during the last couple of weeks of Neil Lennon's tenure at Celtic, uh, Lambert obviously came out and defended him uh, very, very strongly. Um, whereas other people were being rubbished for coming out and not defending him. People like, obviously, John Hartson and uh, Stylian Petrov. So I, I just, when I'm looking at the words coming out of Paul Lambert's mouth, you know, I'm looking at them knowing that he has his own agenda and his agenda is to stand up for Neil Lennon. So he's come out and he's speaking about how the players have let him down and, you know, it wasn't really Lenny's fault. I think that's absolutely ridiculous to suggest such a thing. And then when he's asked if he would come up to Celtic, he, he blankly refused. He said he wouldn't come to Celtic. Um, and again, in his words, though, he was talking Natasha about the fact that there's an expectation to win every game well of course it is I mean how, how do you become a big successful club if your expectation is anything other than to win every game but that same attitude I feel filtered into Jeremy Frimpong's comments recently this week um, what was your thoughts I, I don't know if you've been following the Lambert uh, chat he's been getting interviewed a fair bit what was your thoughts on that attitude and the, the kind of output from Jeremy Frimpong well, firstly, touching on, on Lambert, he shouldn't even be in the realm of consideration for the Celtic job. Um, you know, he's done himself absolutely no favours at Ipswich. And if we're saying we want to, you know, aim higher than John Kennedy and Jack Ross, Lambert's no higher than any of these play, um, manager candidates. So I don't think that he will be in the board's considerations. But he is doing a lot of talking for someone who says that he doesn't want to be, um, which is interesting. But I think that's a non-starter. Um, the thing that frustrated me more this week or yesterday in particular was Frimpong's comments. Mm. Um, you know, Frimpong is someone who, yeah, he gave a lot when he was here, but he was here for all of two minutes. And, you know, now he's coming in telling Celtic fans that their reaction was over the top and they don't know how to not win. I mean, they're Celtic fans who've been around a lot longer than Jeremy's been alive, who know what it's like not to win all the time and not to be dominating. And, you know, they don't need to hear the patronising comments of a player who, who was here for, you know, a couple of seasons. And, you know, we've said it so many times. It's not the fact that we're on a bad run. It's not the fact that we're losing games, we're losing the league. You know, it's the manner in which we've completely capitulated this season. You know, if we'd given it 110%, you know, not come out on top, ran it really close, been beaten by a significantly better side, you know, we'd have held our hands up and said, yeah, it was disappointing, but the club and the team did all that they could. And that's where it is. But that's not the case this season. You know, we never got started. This is to be one of the biggest seasons in our history. And if Jeremy thinks our reaction to capitulating in this manner was over the top, then he didn't understand the importance of this season. And, you know, I don't actually blame him solely for that. I blame the people around about him who did know or who should have known the importance of this season for not making sure that the entire squad did. And, you know, that attitude has cost us this season mm. it's the marketers report this week patrizia spagnoletto global chief marketing officer direct consumer for warner brothers discovery weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy and we have to be very respectful about that our partnership with iheart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent the best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. 
House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Definitely. I, I see it as a mindset. You know, when I was listening to him, I thought, what are you talking about? I mean, th- this is a fan base who doesn't uh, like getting beat. No, of course it isn't. I mean, it's not as though we think we are beyond defeat. It's like you say, Natasha, you go back to when uh, Celtic won the league under Vim Janssen. It was one on the last day of the season to prevent Rangers from winning 10 in a row. This uh, campaign was gone, some would say even earlier than January, but it was definitely gone in January. I mean, to hear his words, I kind of thought to myself, what is the what is the mindset, what is the state of mind within that dressing room? Who implements that? The gaffer does. Mm-hmm. Now, Neil Lennon uh, in his first tenure, when you think back to um, seasons gone by, even when we won the league, you know, there was a few defeats here and there. It was almost as if that's going to happen, shrug of the shoulders. And I just believe that the standards that have been set since he's been gone are completely different. And the mindset of never allowing even a draw, never mind a, a defeat to enter your, your state of mind is what I would expect from Celtic. And as you say, in this season of all seasons, that is the mindset. So I was really disappointed in, in hearing that. I get that he's trying to stand up for a man who's played a big part in his progression. Um, you know, plucking him out of the under-23 squad at Man City, uh, giving him game time. He was a go-to for Neil Lennon, played him virtually all the time. And then he gets his big move and obviously the player's happy. But at the same time, I did feel it was patronising. I don't think a player can tell a Celtic fan how we should and shouldn't support our club. Um, so yeah, all the best to you, Jeremy, but you're wrong. And I just, I, I felt as though it was an indication, Lawrence, of this mindset, of this culture that had maybe been implemented under Neil Lennon, where, you know, these standards weren't as high as they should be. Yeah, definitely. I think some of the mindset used to come, used to hear about Bumsy's teams and, you know, Peter Grant would go to new players' houses and sit and watch the, get the videotapes out and explain all about the club. I, I don't know if a bit of that's been lost just now for new players coming in with the restriction and who they can meet, etc. So they're seeing each other at training and not having the usual interaction. But, yeah, you know, Jeremy probably feels he owes Lenny a bit. As you say, he's got a big move that he's happy with. But kind of shows he really didn't get it, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of going, yeah. listen, you know, and I don't think it's ridiculous to expect to win every game. You know, we've the biggest budget in Scotland. 
they play players fairly well. But, you know, what's ridiculous about expecting whenever again in Scotland? You know, who should you expect to get beat off? Who should you expect to draw with? I, I, I don't know where he's coming from at all. You're kind of going, well, if I'm not expected to win any games, is he saying that there should be some games we expect to draw? Who would that be with? You know, we expect to get beat by whom? You, you, you know, it's kind of that question, Jeremy. Well, do you expect an Aberdeen to beat us? Are you expecting us to host the bottom of the league Ross County? Where's he coming from on it? I don't know. Exactly. I think it's a dangerous mindset to get into, Lawrence. And it's not about um, elitism. It's not about you know entitlement or any of this kind of thing. It's just that if you set your standard uh, below the bar, then that's exactly the standard you're going to reach. But you mentioned there about um, obviously winning and constantly winning. Obviously, St Johnston won and became the second most successful club in Scotland over the last decade by winning the League Cup. And there was a, a, a wee uh, viral video going about, obviously going up past Celtic Park and all that kind of stuff. That didn't bother me in the slightest. Is that not just a bit of crack? Between I two? the video. I thought there so. you go. I thought, that, uh, I thought it was. J- just one bus for St Johnston, though, not six. Was it? Uh... <laughs> Is that you going back to it? Yeah. There was apparently a reason for that. Um, something to do with the length of the journey um, from the team hotel to Hampden didn't require six buses, but I'm not an expert in that. I'll I'll pass on what I read on Twitter. I did read that. It made sense. It certainly made sense. Mm-hmm. But what I mean is, um, yeah, I think it's unacceptable for Celtic to lose any game. I've always had that mindset. But if a club wins a cup, and a club like St Johnston, you know, with their budget um, and their season ticket holders, etc., wins a national trophy, and they have a bit of crack on the way up the road, fair play, you know, fair play. And obviously there's a Celtic link in there. I didn't realise this until the powers of Twitter yesterday with the goal scorer Rooney, um, who is the great-grandson of Bob Rooney, who was the physiotherapist officially at Celtic Park during the Lisbon era. Although I think the only equipment he had was a heat lamp. Um, when you speak to some of the ex-players, um, going to name drop one of them at the minute, but Tommy Callaghan told a great story that he was on a treatment table and in walked Bob Rooney with his white jacket. They used to wear like doctor's jackets, him and Neely Mocking, to do the old uh, rub down and the, the heat lamp on the knee. And he was probably putting the heat lamp on the wrong knee. But on the other knee, the, the fag ash from his cigarette was dropping on <laughs> Tommy Callaghan's leg. He says, that's how tin pot Celtic were back then. But we won the European Cup. Um, it's changed days. It's kind of flipped on its head, you know. But Bob Brown, obviously not like a great cup man, but we're not somebody like uh, the boxers trying to get at least Celtic to work their corner. I think he was like really highly rated in sports. I know you're calling it tin pot, but it's as fun as I've kind of read he was... We, we Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy Steele was the masseur. He was the guy that came in, yeah, from the the boxing arena, uh, Jimmy Steele. But yeah, Bob Rooney had spent time with Shankly at Liverpool as well. I, I spoke to his son Benny, of course, who was at Celtic and made his name at Morton. So it's good to see that that kind of bloodline um, being a success at St Johnson. Saw the best to them. But when we're looking at um, managers and candidates, we've all got our own opinions on this. Of course, we do, and that's what's what's great about it. But another interview that I found pretty interesting over the weekend was that with Sean Maloney so you remember Natasha back in October Kevin and I um, losing the plot against Aberdeen and at half time basically saying Neil Lennon's got 45 minutes to save his job I've just been reminded actually on Twitter that um, someone has just said they've, they've re-watched that day that, that post-match 
and everything we said apparently um, came to fruition. So I'm going to have to watch that back because I know it was quite a negative kind of outpouring of frustration after the game. But I was asked, and I did mention Martinez and Maloney back then, and naturally was laughed at for several weeks. But Maloney spoke very well. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the interview, Natasha. What was mm-hmm. your thoughts on uh, Maloney's comments? Well, he didn't say no, did he? And I think that's what we've got to, to hold on to at the moment. Um, ultimately, he's right, you know, if it's a Maloney and Martinez combination, then that's not Sean's decision alone. Um, and, you know, he can't make that for both of them. But they both have strong links to Glasgow. Um, Martinez as well, I believe he's still got a, a home here. His wife's family are from Glasgow. Um, Maloney, you know, still clearly spends a significant amount of time over here, still lives here. Um, you know, so there are connections to Glasgow that could help make it appealing. But it's up to the board to make the football side of things appealing. They need to offer them the right package, the right autonomy, the right roadmap um, and give them what they need to achieve what they want to at the club. And if they can offer them that and offer them this route back into club football then that would be excellent for us. Now, I say that, I'm sure that Martinez and Maloney after the Euros are going to have many options back into club football. But for Celtic, it's about making ourselves the most attractive one. Um, And it doesn't seem to be an absolute no. You know, Maloney's not really himself out. Um, Martinez obviously has been silent so far. But the club need to ask the question. Um, They can only say no. That's the sort of level that the, the Celtic fans want to see the board bring in. That's what they want to match their ambitions. So ask the question. Um, they can only say no, but ask the question and try and get people at that at that level in. I think the biggest fear for me is that uh, several other clubs, as you say, will be interested in a lot of the targets. And I say targets, I mean, I'm talking about the names that are appearing on the odds lists, um, the runners and the riders. Now, Lawrence, uh, obviously Martinez and Maloney are box office uh, as a team. A lot of people online are saying, well, what's Maloney actually done? He was here, you know, as, as a coach. He's never really done anything other than being Martinez's uh, right-hand man. But surely the experience he's gained working at that level uh, would hold him in good stead. Or do you think that it would only be a Maloney-Martinez partnership or could Maloney come in with a director of football? Yeah, both are options. I'm not too sure how well received it would be Maloney coming in with a director of football. But again, it'll depend who the director of football is. Uh, I think we'd be looking for someone, for, for me anyway, that would be uh, an experienced and proven manager rather than someone taking the step up. You know, has Maloney done more than, than Kennedy? I don't know. You know, he's been working at Belgium. He's been working with some good players. John Kennedy's been working with players for a long time. Neither has you know, been out there and done it by himself. But I suppose Kennedy's got a, an eight game audition, if you like, but I don't think he'd be the right choice. Yeah, uh, I think it would have to be a Martinez Maloney uh, partnership to get the fans excited. But you know, yeah, it would depend on who the, your director of football is. But the good thing is, I think Desmond is involved with it. He normally keeps the information tight. You know, he's replaced the CEO without anyone naming him as the new CEO in the papers or in the press. And mm. I think he'll go, go about I think it's going to be the same for the director of football and the manager. You know, if somebody names one of them, it's going to be more than chance, uh, by chance rather than there's a leak from Dermot's camp. 
Now, remember back to when Neil Lennon left. Uh, I don't know if you, I mean, yourself, uh, Lawrence, had heard any kind of whispers around about that time when Neil Lennon left first time round. The podcast wasn't set up, so we weren't certainly getting any kind of intelligence or information from anybody. But I do remember um, that week and being fairly surprised. I hadn't really heard any kind of chat around Lennon leaving at that time. So when he did leave... I think the, the chat around who's going to replace him back then, if you look back at some of the names, again, Ronnie Dyla wasn't the one that was going to excite Celtic fans, was he? But Celtic tried to take a different direction in that. And last Thursday we were chatting, Declan and, and JP were part of a discussion where, you know, what exactly what you said there in terms of the high kind of profile nature of it, getting the fans excited, Lawrence. Is that what Celtic is going to do, Natasha? Or are we going to look for something that's more structural in terms of a long term? We've heard about the director of football working with the head coach. We've heard the, the, the names, you know, Fergal Harkin and Enzo Maresca has been named uh, numerous times, but also David Webb as a director of football. So, you know, is it something that we can do um, and still get the fans buy-in. This is, this is going to be the biggest concern. They've not really you know, communicated well enough this season. So how could they sell that idea um, under a current, current kind of climate where they've not been talking to us? It's difficult. Like you say, communication, we bang on about it. Here it is again. You know, season ticket renewals around the corner. Celtic fans need to know that we in the summer are not going to be left with John Kennedy as manager um, and a downsizing of the squad. You know, if, if there's any signs of that, then the renewals are going to take a hit. So what they need to do, they need to decide if they're going to tell us who the new manager, what the new structure is going to look like before the renewals, or if they're going to gamble on the fans trusting that they're going to put the right person in place after the renewals. And the fans' trust this season is at an all-time low. So I think before the renewals come out, the board need to give us some indication of what way they're going. Now, that could be difficult depending on the person that they have identified. You know, if this person is currently in a job, they don't want to disrupt that. If they've got Euro preparations, they don't want to disrupt that. So the club do find themselves in a difficult position with not being in a position to tell us too early but risking the renewal process by doing that. For me personally, I don't mind seeing the club go down um, a route of someone who's perhaps not, you know, a box office manager in their own right. You know, the favourite right now on Skybet is Enzo Maresca. You know, he hasn't managed on his own outright before. You know, he's at the Man City under-23s. Mm. Look who he's worked alongside. You know, he's worked alongside people like Guardiola. Before that, he'd worked with Manuel Pellegrini. He's worked with Uni Emery. You know, he's worked with some top class managers and some top class players. And, you know, that's the sort of appointment, you know, despite not being, you know, the box office of maybe Martinez or Benitez, you know, that's the sort of appointment I wouldn't mind seeing the club going down with the right structure in place. That could be good for the club and it could help us achieve, you know, more European success, the development of, of youth players, attracting players in. Um, so for me, I, I'm happy if the club go down that sort of route, but they do have a conundrum about when they tell us what they're thinking. No, definitely. It's the names that I keep um, getting drawn to because of the, the biggest aspect of that is look at the Manchester City link. We've been speaking about Jeremy Frimpong. You know, other players that have uh, came to Celtic either permanently or on a loan deal. We've had Boyata, Gadetti. There's been so many of them. Um, Paddy Roberts, of course. Let's not forget Paddy. Uh, so many of them who have come to Celtic and... Uh, 
uh, denier. There's another Man City player that came up. And of course, they were ready to announce the appointment of, or they certainly were interested in Ronnie Dyla uh, in terms of their youth academy when we made them manager. And there is that link there. And I just think, you know, Harkin and Maresca, if you had asked me three or four months ago who they were, I probably couldn't tell you, to be honest with you, because I'm so engulfed in Celtic and what Celtic are doing. Uh, but the more I think about that, the more I think, well, you know, that's more of a long term. If we're looking at the, the transfer issues that are going to be thrown up by the financial aspect of COVID, but also the political aspect of signing players um, post-Brexit in terms of work permits, then it might have to be a situation where we are going to have a joined-up approach between the academy and the first team so that we're producing players for Celtic and we're not producing players who either go to um, foreign shores before they get an opportunity to play for Celtic or you know, they're released and they end up making up the great bulk of uh, the rest of Scottish football because virtually every team we play have got players who have come through the Celtic Academy. And that's not good enough, you know. But, but this is an argument I see quite a lot on Twitter. Ah, but look at all the guys that have had careers elsewhere. You know, would it not be better if Celtic were producing players that played with Celtic? There's an argument that you could uh, do away with the academy and just spend all the money on a reserve team uh, and do, you know, what Tony Bunch was the glamour friendlies against the likes of Bayern, etc., and get first-team ready players. Because right now we've got academy players, but we don't have anywhere really to play them, and they're not getting first-team ready. So perhaps, you know, we could perhaps look at remodeling it. You know, get a reserve team that flies all over Europe playing the best teams, getting his first-team ready players, and maybe that's where they put the money. You know, I was talking, every time I speak to someone who's involved in the game, Lawrence, I ask them their opinion on that. Because you're looking at Celtic, yes, we've been focusing far too much on the short term uh, during the, the nine-in-a-row era in terms of there's another one, it's seven, it's eight, it's nine, we're going for the ten. But we've left, been left with a situation where we quite clearly seen, and, and it wasn't for a lack of effort, the, the kids that came in against Livy and Hibbs weren't ready. They were not ready for Celtic's first team. And that's because we are, we don't have the pathway for, you know, the youth player to jump from youth to first team. And it used to be bridged by the reserve league, which is gone and will never return. So there has to obviously be um, another way of doing it. But we just can't continue to invest something like £2.5 million plus a year on, a, on an academy that's producing players for someone else. So I think if the club were to come out as Natasha says, and actually sell us this vision that we're, we're investing in these two guys who may not be, in terms of a manager, um, a household name, but this is why we're doing it. And this is our three, five, seven year plan. And maybe, you know, when we look five years down the line, this is how many players, you know, who will actually be looking at Celtic's first team rather than Bayern Munich's academy or whatever. I mean, Liverpool, the goalkeeper that went down to Liverpool was on the bench the other night. You know, Celtic okay. have invested years in the development of these young footballers and they're going elsewhere. So at this moment in time, I think if they were to communicate their, their vision properly, a lot of Celtic fans would accept that and would buy into it. I get the, the quick, you know, uh, reaction that you get if you were to announce Martinez and Benitez. I've spoke about Martinez on this podcast, like I say, back in October. Um, I also like the idea of some of the kind of safer, steadier hands. I've heard Steve Clark's name getting mentioned. Wouldn't really excite people, but you know you would do a decent enough job. Obviously, we've spoken to Mark Hughes on this podcast who's an experienced manager and interestingly enough I've seen him on Sky last night on the Monday Night Football show talking about his future there's plenty of managers who are in the frame but it would basically just be putting it into the same structure we have currently 
I think if you really need to restructure the way Celtic are going to produce players um, and then progress, not just domestically, but in, in Europe. And I hope in my lifetime that is going to be something that is realistic uh, to actually become uh, a team that's looking and a, a fan base that's looking towards Europe is, is a valid um, criteria in terms of your, your aims and objectives for a season because it doesn't seem to have been for some time. Then I think the, the change in structure is something that they need to start communicating to us on. I mean, Lawrence, for example, you just know, right, it's a bit like clickbait online. If you put out that big name and Celtic announce that big name, the season tickets will take care of themselves. But really, I just think you're masking what has been a serious issue over a number of years. You know, you can bring a big name in and change the structure. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, bringing in a, a big name doesn't really want to change the structure. You know, I'm hoping that they've got the, the director of football and the manager already lined up and it's just news management now the way they've done with Rogers when they announced them mm. so but you know bringing in a big name doesn't need to be mutually exclusive to restructuring does it it's you know you can do both you know you can aim high on whoever you're going to put into that structure aim as high as you want and put the best structure in place it seems a little bit more short term for me because like, you know, Eddie Howe comes in, let's say there's another name, it's not my preferred choice, but Eddie Howe comes in and it's another Brendan Rogers scenario, isn't it? Within three years, he's going to be looking down south, what jobs are available, I've done okay up here. You know, so it seems a wee bit more short term if you were to bring in the higher profile name. I think any manager that's been successful up here is going to have offers from down south and mm. I think it's you know a bit perhaps a paradigm shift that we need to be aware of but you know we get 9 million for, for Rogers and his team if we put in a structure in place that you know meant we're changing the manager every three years which I, I think Strachan said is probably the manager's lifestyle or sorry uh, lifespan at Celtic what's wrong with that you know if, if that's our, our business plan to like, we'll get the best manager we can we understand he's successful here progresses is in Europe He's going to look at moving down south or he's going to have suits down south and we'll get compensation package. And truly we've then got another list of candidates to, to replace him. You know, it's when you, you lose a manager and uh, you don't see it coming and don't have any plan mm. for replacement would be negligent. Both. But yeah, I, I think it goes to the territory of having a successful manager. Other clubs are going to cover him. Uh, and we've got to be able to either, you know, plan for that either. They offer them enough money or a to keep him or a package to keep him or a working environment to keep him or having a replacement plan in place. The other big name, Natasha, that's been kind of spoken about on this podcast and elsewhere, Rafa Benitez, who wants to stay in Europe uh, to be competitive at a high level. I do remember speaking actually to, um, it was Paddy McCourt, and this was last time round when Benitez was being spoken about and what he said to me was quite interesting because he said you know that type of manager he wants to go to a club where he feels he can win a European trophy is Celtic that club? Um, a short answer at the moment no um, you know if he's talking about wanting to you know go to one of the big European leagues you know that's not Scotland unfortunately that's not Scotland so we're not going to be able to attract a manager like Rafa Benitez if that's his ambition the most we could hope for there is tell him that we plan on being a side that competes in Europe every single season is getting out the group stages you know three times out of five and that we've got strong ambitions to, to better ourselves in Europe and this is how we're going to achieve it that's the only way you could possibly tempt someone like Benitez but you know the likelihood is he's going to have 
um, offers from other clubs across Europe who are going to, if not already, be achieving that, you know, that's going to be their plan too. So I think... I think it would be a hard sell to Benitez, but that's up to the club to try and match that ambition. Um, In terms of a restructure, I think now is the time to do it if we want to to rebuild and have a different sort of setup in place. You know, it's not... You know, the last few seasons I wanted us to be risk averse as we were building up to a 10 in a row, which unfortunately hasn't happened. You know, it's not like we were in the throes of seven, eight, nine, just trying to keep it ticking over without, you know, rocking the boat too much. You know, now's the time to do that. The, the 10 is gone. We're restarting. Um, now's the time to put a new structure in place if we're ever going to do it, rather than just simply if someone replacing Lennon. Um, in terms of succession planning, you know, if you do bring in a double act like Martinez and Maloney, have them in place for a couple of years with a view to Maloney taking it over in a few years. You know, if it's going to be someone like, you know, Bergel Harkin and Vareska, have that sort of succession lining in place mm-hmm. and that way you don't lose the momentum if a manager suddenly decides to leave after three seasons to go to England. Um, have that in place. And I think touching back on Lawrence's point about you know the reserve side or an academy, whatever it's going to be, the importance is that you know there's the same ethos and the same football being played at all levels so that we don't have the situation where we need to use someone from an academy or a reserve side and they're just nowhere near the first team. And having someone perhaps like Maresca who does a lot of work with you know, younger players, academy players, an under-23 squad whose focus is on developing them to then become first players for Manchester City. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can have him imposing his ethos and his style, not only in the first team, but across our, you know, youth teams on our reserve side, I'd like to see us go down that route. Um, like you've touched on, the difficulties in signing players, Brexit, Europe issues, we're going to have to start looking at our academy and the domestic league a lot more. So having someone who can nourish our academy and you know harness the better players in the league that we have at the moment is going to be really important. Absolutely. I mean, I see different names every single day, Natasha, and I'm certainly being drawn towards more of a long-term view. Walter Mazzari, ex-Inter in Napoli, was mentioned today. Uh, we've had Chris Sutton naming Martin O'Neill or even Mick McCarthy as the Celtic manager. Gary Caldwell backed John Kennedy. Frank McAvaney disagreed with him. Everybody has an opinion, but that does take us on to the John Kennedy um, question. You mentioned him earlier on, Lawrence. How do you think Celtic did in the first game post Lenny, was there a, a huge difference? I don't think much, you know. Kind of 15 minutes to half time was fairly decent. Uh, first 15 minutes, a bit scrappy. Second half, there wasn't much in it, but, you know, we're, we're playing with an unsettled defence and an unsettled keeper. We're not team for confidence, but I, I didn't see much difference. Uh, I suppose Kennedy, you, you know, he's taken a lot of flack on this show this season but perhaps part of Celtic's thinking was don't get caught out of our manager leaving again maybe that's why Lenny didn't get to pick his staff because he didn't want manager leaving with everyone again so maybe Celtic thought well one way to do that is don't let the manager pick his staff we'll pick all the staff and if the manager leaves it's, it's just the manager who knows but what, whatever happened that, that group of three didn't work did it it was a it was some kind of sorrowful mystery with those three uh, Maybe Kennedy would be better without Lenny. Maybe Lenny wouldn't be better without Kennedy, but you know, he's got another seven games to show us what he can do. He's got nothing to lose, has he? He'd be putting his own ideas across. Uh, you know, we're going to finish second. Uh, 
he's got two old farm games, which if he wins both uh, resoundingly, I'm sure uh, if nothing else, it'll always be well thought of after that. So, listen, uh, it's down to John to show us what he can do, but first game, can't see real much changes, but what what we're expecting, kind of one game in, maybe kind of third and fourth game, we should see some, some better changes. Natasha, what about yourself? Again, I've seen kind of mixed reactions. I was looking at the, the Twitter comments. And by the way, Lawrence, you just called the two Derby games old firm games just so that you, you're aware that there's loads of comments coming your way on that. Um, but I think that there were certain elements. Uh, maybe I was looking too deeply into it. Obviously, he brought back Clamalla, which mm. I found interesting. It might just be a case of, well, you know what? Ayeti and Griffiths have had plenty of chances this season. Let's give Clamalla a, a run out. Uh, and run he certainly can but I don't know what else he brings to it. I've been looking at the gate, the goal I know that his, it was his run that pulled two of the defenders with him giving um, Edward some space did you see anything that was um, positive more positive after after Lenny? Do you know what I'm maybe you know trying to be a bit more optimistic but I thought the first half was better um, you know I thought we had a better tempo I thought the passing was quicker um, and you know there were some encouraging signs there you know Bain after the game said that Kennedy's instructions were to play out short quickly from the back and you know, I thought that was definitely noticeable and dare I say perhaps trying to emulate a Brendan Rodgers type style that Kennedy obviously worked under Um you know, so there's encouraging signs in the first half. I was pleased. And then, you know, as has happened all too often this season, it was completely dismantled in the second half. Um, I have no idea why we consistently drop off in the second half and revert back to to our old ways. But we did again um, at, at the weekend. And it's, it's frustrating. Is it fitness? You know, do the fitness levels drop off in the second half? Do the other team change their shape a bit more? Do they... You know, when it's still one nil, do they come out and try something different, and we don't adapt as quickly as we should? Um, so, first half more encouraging. Second half, back to the same old. But we can't expect things to change overnight either. You know, it's still two thirds of the same management team in place, and it's still the same squad that he's working with. And um, so, yes, Kennedy might be able to inflict his own style of play slightly more. But there's no, there's not going to be a quick fix here. You know, we're not going to see miracles overnight with the, the same group of players and the same management team. Um, but there were encouraging signs, so hopefully we see more of the first half display. You know, get carried over into the weekend. Mm. Um, and I'd like to see Kamala get another chance. Um, I think he was probably frustrated at being taken off relatively early. He would be frustrated at a couple of the chances he missed. Um, but I, I liked his work rate um, and I like some of his movement off the ball. You know, what he was doing off the ball was perhaps creating some of the space that Edward then got. Um, and to be honest, I think he could just do with a goal or two to, to help his confidence. Um, if that chance that he really should have scored um, had went in, I think he could have really kicked on from that. So I'd give him another shot, see how he can partnership up with with Edward and I'd like to see us stick with one of them partnering Edward to give them that bit of consistency to see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, another one I seen during the game when I was watching it was um, some comments coming in about Sorrow, the reintroduction of Sorrow. But of course, if you did that, you're going to drop Scott Brown. So I was looking and uh, listening to his, in- his interview with interest, where he was asked the question whether he would be interested in the Celtic manager's job, and he just he just laughed as Scott Brown would. But he is 36 in June, Natasha. What is the future for Bruni? I think it would be a bad mistake, a really big mistake, if we were to allow him to leave this summer. I think it's key to keep as many leaders as we possibly can during the transition. 
Absolutely. It's something we've touched on um, already is that we've probably let too many leaders go for this season. Um, You know, they weren't going to be the best footballers in the world. But I do think that losing players in the dressing room like Lustig and Hayes, Craig Gordon, you know, further back looking at Sinclair and Simonovic, you know, those were players who seemed to get it. They were leaders. They were going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and win it. And I think we probably just got rid of too many of those type of players from the dressing room to really drive us on this season. You know, that's not saying that Johnny Hayes is better than Greg Taylor or Diego Laxalt, but he could have done a job this season. Um, You know, Simonovic, I know he had his injury problems. You know, look at the, you know, the centre-half problems we've had. Craig Gordon, you know, he would have certainly been in in the nets at some point, I'm sure, and done perhaps a better job than any of the three we've seen and have. So I think we did make a mistake in letting too many of that type of player go um, for one reason or the other. And letting Scott Brown go at the end of this season, I think would would fall into that category. Now, I'm not saying that he needs to be in the middle of the park every single game, um, but he can have a significant impact on the squad in the dressing room around the training ground. And particularly if we're going to go through this period of rebuilding, restructure, upheaval, having players around like Scott Brown who get the club um, is important. And while it might not be in, in a playing capacity every single week, you know, player, I know he's done his coaching badges, a player coach sort of role. I just think it's going to be imperative to keep him around for another season, although he might have slightly different ambitions. If he doesn't see his career ending yet, if he thinks he's got another season or two in him, then he might look to somewhere like Australia to see if he can prolong his career slightly longer there before coming back. Um, again, I wouldn't begrudge him that, but I'd like to keep him around for, for a little longer. I think it's key that we keep our leaders and uh, there's plenty of comments coming in in relation to Chris Ayer. In the crowd via YouTube says Celtic can't match the ambition of Ayer and he will leave the club in the summer in my opinion. And Joe Mack says Chris Ayer is already planning his move out of the club unless we make a good appointment. That can't keep him here for another year or so. I think I'm resigned to the fact that he probably will be on his way. David Kelly, not even a glimmer of hope that Ayer is staying I'm afraid. We can only hope for good money, 12 million maybe, considering the contract situation, and wish him all the best. I think that uh, there will come a time in the future where we see Chris Iyer playing at the very highest level uh, in European football, mm-hmm. Lawrence Conley. Well, what did we sell Van Dyke for? Was it 20? Kieran Tierney for 25? Iyer's mm-hmm. up there that kind of level, and I know Van- he's only got 12 months on his contract, doesn't he? Van Dyke was only 12, 12 and a half. Was, it, was that, oh, jeez, what? So, yeah. Got robbed. So yeah, and get robbed for Tierney. He's already Arsenal's mm-hmm. best player. So, Ayers mm-hmm. already at that level, I, th- I think, anyway. So, I know he's got only got 12 months left, but there's not a lot of good 22, 23 year olds around about with his kind of experience and potential. Mm-hmm. So, why should we be taking less for him than, for example, we're going to take for Edward? Well, that I think would have been always your starting point, um, you know, before the pandemic, but that just throws everything into disarray, doesn't it, when it comes to the financials and, you know, how much money is going to be getting thrown about all over Europe in the summer. I think that's going to be a, a massive element to that as well. I mean, you look at Frimpong, 11.5, and I know we didn't get the full amount after all the um, the, the sell-on clauses that were inserted into the, the original contract, but um, Celtic are going to be looking at, I think, in the region of 12 to 15. I think that would be realistic. A year 
you know, or even two years ago, it would have been a bigger fee. It's the same with Eddie. You know, when Eddie goes, some of the fees that we've seen quoted, uh, the vast, vast sums of money, even if he gets 25 goals this season, I don't think we're going to be able to attain that level that we would have done 18 months ago, Lawrence. I think it's, uh, it's definitely a buyer's market, but if you two or three of the big clubs looking after him, you know, are after him, why not? You, you know, look at the money they pay down in England. He, he does well when he plays with French unders. He's got great goal scoring record, great potential. You know, why not ask for, ask for higher money? Why accept it for more money? He's got to move on, you know, if, it, if it's Brendan comes in for him. You know, but we know the EPL clubs have, have still got money. We, we, we've, n- we've not dealt with Leicester, have we, since uh, Brendan Rodgers' departure? So... We'll see. We'll have a look at that with interest. Mark, welcome back to the show on YouTube. The only difference in Saturday's match was the name of the man in charge of picking the eleven. Uh, Robbie Smith. First half was good. We played better. Uh, second half was drivel. And from Facebook, the best part of the Aberdeen game was the first fifteen minutes because we couldn't see them. Uh, that was that was fairly disappointing, wasn't it? Uh, I had to tune into Aberdeen TV. I think it's Red TV for the first fifteen minutes or so. But um, again, this comes into the the whole discussion around the added value, the season ticket renewals, Natasha, that we've spoken about already. And I'm, I am hoping that the, the level of engagement increases. Paul Lambert simply said about the incoming Dominic Mackay, rugby is a totally different sport. Well, thanks for that, Paul. Um, but I think I think what Dominic Mackay is going to try and implement is definitely more engagement with the fans. It's something that he's got a track record in doing. Um, he's all about increasing um, the turnover, but reinvesting it in the certain areas and, and departments within the football uh, club that, that requires them. So I, I think a, a completely different approach is going to come along with Dominic Mackay. Uh, and part of that approach could well be, I feel, the um, removal of Nicky Hammond and his cohort, Gary Penrice. Uh, the story has broken over the, the week that they're on their way out. And I, it was interesting to read Tam McManus. Now, I know Tam's a big pal of Stephen Fletcher, so you're, you're basically taking this as gospel, but he says that Fletcher was desperate to sign for Celtic. Um, Neil Lennon wanted him, but it came down to Nicky Hammond. Nicky Hammond was the, the spanner in the works there. Is it time, Natasha, for us to, to have a clean sweep and remove uh, Nicky Hammond and Gary Penrice as well? Yeah, I think so. If we're if we're going for this full restructure and rebuild, then then let's do it. There's you know no doubt that everyone at the club has has failed this season. Um, and to be honest, you know when you look further into it, the scouting department has failed for a lot longer than that. Um, so yeah, let's get let's get some new people in with some fresh ideas, um, some fresh thinking. And you know a new a new way of looking at things, a new ambition. And if that means that everyone needs to go, then you know you know fair enough. Obviously, we're not going to do a complete clear out because you know that could cause some instability. But let's get some new people in, and the people who have been there for too long, it's got stale, and they've got an ambitious. They can go. Um, similarly to Fletcher, you know, look at player like Tony, who apparently was, you know, in the building at Celtic Park, and then or thought that that was going to go through, and that last minute I don't know if it was Hammond or Lawwell pulled the plug on that and now he's getting quoted at 25 million you know it's it's decisions like this you know even 
the McGinn decision before that. It's decisions like this that have been hampering Celtic and we don't seem to be able to get these deals over the line. Um, so the ones that are stopping it, the ones that are putting the hurdles in the place, um, whether that's Lawwell who's on his way out, whether that's Hammond who could also be on his way out, then then good. Let's let them leave and, and rebuild with with some new faces. I totally agree with that. Uh, Hugh Jameson's just uh, put a wee vision in my mind. He's talking about a wannabe Klamala. But we are going to be looking at a situation, I guess, Lawrence, where, like the Stuart Armstrong song, we're going to see another set of fans singing the Eddie song. And that, that will be tinged with sadness for me. Yes and no. I mean, first half of this season, it was it. You know, it was really important season. And I don't think he turned up. And I think it's been alluded to, he thought he got a mood blocked. And I think he's been playing for a move since you know late December. Uh, before that, really, where was he and what did he add to the season? You know, mm. yeah, he's, a, he's a guy with great potential, but I don't think he ever gives all. Uh, he could have slipped in sort of the weekend, starting sort of mental. Because it was more about Eddie than Celtic winning 2 0 and you know, getting the second goal and securing it again. Absolutely. Clamala suffered from that as well. The players always play to Eddie. Clamala's making some great ones. The players want to try and find Eddie instead. You like, I think it's too much about Eddie and not about enough about the club or about the team. Natasha um, said something earlier about giving give Clamalla a run. You know, play him against London United, give him a run. I know the first game against Rangers, Lawrence, you and I watched that together. Um, he was poor. I thought he was poor in that game. But if you're going to give him a run, he's going to have to play in that game as well. There's a very interesting um, analysis of Klamala's performance. So check it out. There's the link. I know you can't click on that, but there's the link from Tom. Have a look at that. I read it during the week. Maravchik, 25, agrees with Natasha. Give Paddy the last seven games to acquire touch and confidence. At least the lad is physically fit for purpose. Natasha, is there anybody else within the Celtic squad that you think deserves that last seven games to, to get a run out to show us what they're capable of I mean we've seen it with Sorrow and Turnbull you know they were thrown in to the dead rubber against Lille in Europe and we got two of our best performances of the season out of that should we give a few others a run out Sorrow's the one that came to mind Brown doesn't need to play every game um, get Sorrow in there and get him to form a partnership let's see how him McGregor Turnbull work together for you know four or five games in a row and let's really see how that looks because that's what's going to be in place next season so I want to see more of that you know, even if we're considering what's been quoted is that we're considering a five million pound bid of Elianusi. You know, if we are considering spending money on him, let's see him. You know, let's play him regularly and see if he's going to be worth spending that money on. Um, maybe we start to look at some of the the youth players, giving them a chance here and there. Let's see more of Mikey Johnson. Let's see more of you and Henderson. Um, if we're going to be thinking that they're the sort of players who could benefit from a loan deal for experienced next season at some you know other club, if we're going to put them out to Hibs or Ross County or Kilmarnock, whoever, let's see how they look in the Celtic squad. You know, there's plenty of games left this season for them to get experience in. Let's have a look at them. Um, there's relatively little to play for in the league anyway, so so let's give some of those players a chance and see how they look. You know, there's a, a message coming in there uh, from Gillian Gallagher saying that Bruni played brilliant again the other day and we need his leadership on the park just now. I think his leadership's massive and that goes into next season as well. You know, even if he was to play 25 games next season, 
uh, you know, and, and not start them all. I just think to have him in a, in a dressing room, to have him on the side of the park, I think that's pivotal for this issue that we, we raised at the top of the show, Natasha, where Frimpong comes in, he's got this kind of shrug of the shoulders attitude, you win lots of them, you lose some. And you think, well, no, that isn't the mentality at Celtic here. This is the mentality. Now, Lawrence made a point about Peter Grant. I remember being told a similar story, Lawrence, in relation to Tommy Burns and how Tommy Burns would take young players to the side, take new players to the side and give them, you know, pep talks, 30 minutes, 40 minute pep talks about what it is that is expected of them as soon as they pull on the hoops for Celtic. And I think the modern game, you know, we romanticise about these things looking back. But, you know, it's still a living via living on the park. And sometimes if you get that extra few percent, it's these kind of margins that win you games. I mean, Celtic have lacked in so many departments this season. Um, but a lot of people, and this is a first for a long time, people have been um, suggesting that there's been a lack of desire. And that, that as a, for a Celtic fan, uh, hurts us the most, I think. I mean, if it's a lack of ability, you know, we've seen so many players playing for Celtic in the past. You mentioned Peter Grant, Lawrence. Peter Grant wasn't the best midfield player the Celtic's ever had, but he gave you the heart, he gave you the desire. And so, you know, when Celtic fans see that passion to succeed and win, then it almost does away with that lack of talent. You then, on the flip side, see someone like Edward, who's got talent to absolutely burn, but if he doesn't apply the heart and the passion, you know, he doesn't look interested. And we've seen so many players like that. So I think it's absolutely key that Scott Brown plays a part next season. But I'm going to flip this again, and I'm going to come to you first, Natasha. With that being said, with that familiarity, going I mean, it's going to be pivotal going into next season with so many changes. Is there a place, not in the manager's chair, for the future of Celtic for John Kennedy? Somewhere, yes, I think there is. Um, not the manager's chair for me. And... I, along with everyone else in this show, has given Kennedy a hard time. Um, you know, he does look very uninspiring on the touchline. If I was a player with any three of them on the touchline, I wouldn't feel particularly inspired. And the blame for this season can't solely be on Lennon. Kennedy and Strachan are on that training pitch just as much. You know, they're also the ones who are unable to get a team to defend a set piece or, you know, teach them to play in any form of shape. But Kennedy's been around the club for a long time. I really believe that he gets Celtic as well. Whether there's a gap in a coaching department for him, I think there probably is. Um, and I wouldn't mind seeing him being kept around under a new structure. What about yourself, Lawrence? I mean, we see a lot of these names. And again, there's a criticism a lot of the time about their, it's jobs for the boys. They're only there because of their affinity with Celtic rather than their ability to coach. There's a lot of players at Celtic, uh, ex-players at Celtic at the moment. Do you think Kennedy will remain? I've seen somewhere that he'd been at the club for about three decades. He's only 37. Yeah, uh, I think it's a decision we should leave to the new manager. You know, he's got attributes... It's not really shown this season, but you know, Rogers apparently rate them highly. You know, your Kieran Tierney's been out speaking about how good he was for his career. You know, you'd expect a new director of football, a new manager, whatever or head coach, whatever the structure is, to come in and, and have a look at it. I, I don't think it's just you know, throw out. You've got to give whoever you're putting in charge of those matters a decision. Argument for keeping Kennedy, you know, especially if he's a good, ba- you know, a good back eight games. You know, it, it makes it stronger. I think the team's definitely lacked fight, which is probably the worst thing you, you could say. You know, sometimes there's players that just 
yeah, it just seemed to be happy to accept a poor game this season. And I think, you know, John isn't someone I think that would accept that, you know, if it's playing. So I think he would get over to players that uh, would point out, much like Peter did in the past, uh, what's the expectations are at Celtic. Peter the pointer eh? uh, there is one comment that I'll leave you to think about Kenny 67 a Yeti should get a run now Klamala isn't good enough there are better strikers in the SPL including Shankland um, I guess what I'm thinking about now is players proving themselves like you said earlier Natasha give Moy a few games see if we should sign him I think uh, another element of that is give Barkas some games now I think he's he has been injured give him some games I mean we're now apparently playing more um, from the back uh, a la Brendan Rodgers which I think you know Barkas was a Brennan Rodgers type player uh, coming in and playing a sweeper keeper give him some games see if he's a £5 million flop or if there's a future for Barkas at the club surely we can't write off £10 million the talent with him and a Yeti uh, come the summer um, it's been great coming back to the Axon Bulletin uh, for the Tuesday stint with Lawrence Connolly and Natasha Miko. I'll be back on Thursday um, but the team will be back on wed- uh, tomorrow Wednesday with Colin Watt and Amy Canavan tonight Kevin Graham and Russell Boyce will be back with uh, Axom's Screamer Celica. If you haven't done so already, get subscribing on YouTube. We produce daily content and it's all absolutely free. And all that's left for me to say, Lawrence and Natasha, thank you once again for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. 
House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.